I want to get you up to speed with what's happening. So the book of Psalms is, can be a little bit intimidating, right? It's 145 chapters. That's probably more chapters than most of us have read in our life. And so we're like, 145, that's a lot to say. But what it is is this collection of poems. And what I've been telling our church is the book of Psalms is a book for exiles. It's a book for people who are far from God that maybe don't have a normal place to worship or just feel that they're, they're far away. And so if that's how you're feeling, you're really in the perfect place tonight. And I truly believe God has a message uh, for you tonight. And so uh, to start off tonight, I wanted to start off with a story. I don't know if many of you know exactly how the church started. In fact, uh, in February of this coming year will be our three-year anniversary. And we have some really special things planned for that that we're in the process of looking at right now, one of which is to go back to our original location. This isn't our original location, and some of you that have been with us for a while, you know where that original location is, and I think we all need to go back there and be reminded of all that God has done in the past three years, and the lives that have been changed because of what He's doing in and amongst our church. Um, But to get to plant bedrock was quite a story. In fact, I'm just going to quickly go through this because it kind of segues right into our message tonight, but... Uh, Kelsey and I were in Virginia. I was working for Liberty University at the time, and Kelsey and I started to feel kind of this uneasiness in our life that we, anyone ever been there? You kind of just, you're not sure what's going on, but it's just something's changing. There's something going on in your life that's going to bring change, and we felt that, and as Kelsey and I prayed and began to seek the Lord, we both kind of came to this conclusion that God was calling us to plant a church. And the story of how we got there is a totally different story, but I don't know about you, but sometimes when you feel like you're called by God to go into something, we expect all the circumstances in our life to line up with that calling. That we expect like the road to be paved and it to be easy as you can, you know, we want the yellow brick road. That's what we want. We're like, okay, you've called us, Lord, just pave this this road with gold so I can know without a shadow of a doubt what's going to happen. But we have this pesty enemy called Satan who likes to mess up the road. And so you can't always make your circumstance define your call. You have to let your call define the circumstance. And so as Kelsey and I began to seek this moment, it was crazy. As soon as we said we were going to go back home to plant a church, which was a miracle in itself, by the way, Uh, Kelsey and I had promised each other we'd never come back here, uh, live here, or do anything like that, but God has a way of turning our hearts, doesn't he? And so as soon as we felt called to come back here, I started to get job offers all over the country, all over the place, Arkansas, Texas, South Florida, Virginia, and we started to get all of these calls to pastor in different capacities at different places. In fact, one of the places I was telling our interns this, they had a guy that was going to be giving us a car, and then there was a home builder that we were talking to to buy a cost, and all of these kind of crazy things going on. And we began to think, God, you called us to plant a church in Sarasota. Why are all of these other good opportunities coming our way? And so we began to think like, hey, maybe this isn't what we're supposed to do. Maybe that's a yes, but not yet, the call to plant the church. And then um, as we were getting closer and closer to this moment, we were talking to all these churches, we never had peace about it. And then this kind of crazy moment happened. 
You know, we always talk about sometimes you can walk down the path that God has for you, or sometimes you get pushed. Kelsey and I got pushed. There's a day in um, November uh, that we were called into a meeting. Uh, there was about 400 of us that were called into this meeting, and uh, the lights were out. The stage was lit up, but the lights were out. And I looked at my friend and I said, get ready. This isn't going to be good because they can't look us in the face. Like if, I, if you guys came in here and I turned all the lights dark here and this was really bright, you probably got some bad news coming, okay? And so they got up and they started to talk and um, my job was I was an um, instructional coordinator for biblical and theological studies. I helped run international trips and then I taught for the university. Well, uh, some overtime laws changed in our country a few years ago, if you remember this. And basically what happened is, is they said, well, your full-time job is instructional coordinator. And so anything that you do outside of that, you need to be paid time and a half or whatever. Well, Liberty would give us like online classes or we would teach and that helps supplement our income. So in one day, I dropped from about $85,000 a year to $32,000 in one day. 50 grand, gone. And I thought, uh, God, where are you in this moment? And as soon as I, I walked out of that meeting, I said, that's why the lights were off. As soon as I walked out of that meeting, I all of a sudden felt this peace that surpassed understanding. And that night when I went home, I said, hey, after dinner, when we get the kids down, we have little kids. We have three little kids at this point. Um, we're going to need to have a conversation. And so I did. And, and as we were talking about it, uh, I told Kelsey, I said, hey, I just, we just lost $50,000 a year in income. And that was, you know, that's not a great day. Uh, and I was the only one working at the time for the family. Of, we had really little kids. And so then we walk and I said, you know, this is really the way I believe that God is releasing us to go plant this church. I really believe that this is the release for us to go. But how many of us know that the road to get to where you're supposed to be isn't always paved with gold. So that was November. Kelsey and I moved here three days before Christmas. So we moved our entire family in less than a month. We left Virginia with an unsold house. We left Virginia with our three kids, me, and then my mom flew up to help Kelsey get down. Our youngest daughter, Scout, started teething on the car trip. So she basically screamed and cried the whole time. We almost went to an emergency clinic halfway through the trip to deal with that. And then, I mean, how many of us all love this idea? We went from owning a house to moving into your parents' house again. And I thought for just a second, like, what, why like this, God? Like, why this moment? Because I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying all of these things to you right now. And everything that I've built my life upon is gone. I mean, everything. My, my income, my, my status at the university, my ability to work there. Let me tell you something. I used to teach classes with six to 700 kids in one room at one time. Kelsey and I would go out in Lynchburg and we would be out eating at the grocery store and I'd probably have to say hi to five to 10 people everywhere I went. We were known everywhere that we went. And then we came back here and we, no one knew us. And I'm, not, I'm sorry to say this, like if you think pastors are above pride, we're not, but it's hard to be known and then unknown. And so everything in our life 
dropped out from underneath us. Even though we were called here to plant a church. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. That's what I want us to look at in the book of Psalms. God really has something to say to this. I want us to look at this moment when it feels like the floor drops out. That's what I entitled tonight's message, When the Floor Drops Out. See, when it it almost seemed for Kelsey and I like the world was ending for us. I mean, every part of our life was messed up. I mean, every part, other than like our marriage being pretty good, it was messed up. In fact, if you go back and watch the Bedrock story, there's one night where I was tucking Piper into bed. We were about like a week or two in, and I just said to Piper, how are you doing? And she said, I'm okay, Dad. I just miss my friends. And as a dad, that was like basically cut my heart out. And I began to doubt, and I began to do all of these things, and, and honestly, we almost quit. We almost quit. There was, a, I got a job to go back to Liberty to work for one of the VPs to become the head of international travel for the university to help out with that part of it. And I would have made more money. We could have bought a bigger house. We could have moved right back and it just would have been a blip in our life. And we almost did that. In fact, you can thank Kelsey and the work of God and the Holy Spirit for keeping me here. Because if that moment didn't happen, if there wasn't intercession, we wouldn't be in this room right now. In fact, I probably wouldn't even know you. But what do we do in these moments where the floor just drops out on our life completely? See, when it feels like the whole world is dropping away, you need someone bigger than the world to hold it all together. And that's exactly what Psalm 46 is going to talk about. Today, we're going to take a look at how a big God gets us through the moments when the floor drops out. And I don't know where you are in your life right now. Maybe the floor just dropped out. Maybe on the way to church, you got terrible news. Maybe your, your marriage is barely hanging on, your relationships aren't there, you're nervous about school, or maybe this is your last year in school, and you're so freaked out about what's going to happen. It seems like maybe right now the world might be ending. And if you watch the news, it seems like that every day, doesn't it? I mean, there's not a lot of good news on the news. And this is the world we're living in. And so how do you and I survive? Like, how do we not only survive, how do you and I thrive when the floor falls out? Because I don't know about you, but I've felt like that for a really long time. And we just went through a season in the world where all of that happened. In fact, I don't know if you know, Congress did not pass the eviction uh, you know, notice or or where they're not going to allow evictions to happen right now. And there's some families in our country who the literal floor is going to be pulled out from under their feet next week. I mean, think what you want to think, big government, not big government. There's real people who are going to be kicked out of homes next week. The floor is going to fall out. So how do we survive these moments? If you have a Bible with you, would you open up to Psalm 46? If not, don't worry, the words are on the screen there for you. But I truly believe that God has an incredible word for you and I tonight. So let's take a look at this, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we, all of us, will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the floor drops out. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
the very first way that you and I are going to survive and thrive when the floor drops out is very simple. It's to hold on. It is to hold on. Just hold tight. Has anyone in here ever fallen or slipped? What do you look for when you slip and the earth gives way? A handhold, right? You grab or something. And right, I heard a story yesterday. Uh, oh, it was JT. He was telling me about his dad. His dad, when he was a kid, stepped back into an elevator shaft that was uh, empty and fell down three stories while he was playing hide and seek one time. I bet you he was looking for something to hold on to. But that's exactly what happens when the earth gives way. You and I are going to look for something to grab onto. And that's completely natural. In fact, I used to do this to our kids. Um, when they were little babies, if you blow on a baby's face, they go like this. And they grab out. And we were told by our doctor that's a defense mechanism that babies use to try to grab onto something because they think they're falling. So me as a dad, I would do that all the time. So <laughs> anyway... But I want you to see what happens here because this psalm is written in the midst of these people who had just won a battle, but their enemies were surrounding them. They were in this moment where they, they really had no other choice. And so the psalmist writes in and says, listen, let's, let's turn the verses around a little bit. We will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength in a time of, and he's ever present in a time of trouble. That word refuge has this incredible meaning in the Bible. It means that this, this inward place that you and I can go into for complete protection. Here's how I would imagine it. If you've come up to me after church and my kids are with me, they get a little nervous around strangers sometimes, which we like. And so what they'll do is they grab onto my leg and they hide under my arm. And they stand right here and hold on to me in an uncertain situation, in an uncertain moment. They hold on to me and they find refuge in dad. That my presence and my ability to be there is like a covering for them to be okay in their darkest moments. That's exactly what it means that God is a refuge. So when the earth gives way, you and I are to hold on. What are we to hold on to? God. God immediately becomes the thing that you and I cling to, just like my kids cling to my leg because they have no other choice. The earth is giving way, and when the earth gives way, you got to hold on. But there's this incredible aspect of holding on that you and I are going to need to be able to do. Anyone here ever try to hang by your arms? How many of us can do that forever? Right? You're like, if you're me, I'm, once I get up, I'm about to let go, right? I'm like, oh, I'm shaking. You're going to need strength. And what does the Bible say that when we take refuge in God? We're to take refuge and he is our strength. That God will help you hold on. That I want you to look at this like this. That when God, when, you, when the floor gives way, you're going to grab on to God in that moment. And you're going to say, I'm too weak to hold on. And God's hands are going to come around yours and say, don't worry. I'm your strength. I will help you hold on in this moment. And so God not only wants you to grab on to him, he's going to help you hold on. Because when the earth gives way, there's nothing else left to grab. When Kelsey and I moved down here, there was nothing left to hold on to. There was nothing left for you and I, Kelsey and I, to, to grab on to to get any kind of safety. Listen to what Psalm 36 verse 7 says. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. 
The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. There's this idea of strength and this refuge that you and I can hold on to. But I want you guys to understand something. Look at what the Bible says right after it talks about refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Everyone say on demand. demand. Say it louder, on on demand. God's refuge and strength is not something that you need to find because it's on demand. As soon as you need it, it's right there. It's faster than the internet. It's faster than, there's no buffering or waiting. As soon as you're in trouble, you can cling on to God. Why? Because God is ever present. He's always right there. You and I just need to grab on. And see, this psalm opens up with the biggest things that you and I will experience in this world. The earth and the waves. Anyone ever been washed out to sea or been in rough seas and tried to swim? You might be a good swimmer. All Floridians are like, I'm a great swimmer, right? And then you get them out in some rough ocean, and they're like, this is not good. I'm going to die, right? Because what you realize so quickly is everything in this world is so much bigger than you and I. And that brings terror to you and I when the earth gives way. Because so many times, the enemy that you and I are facing is so much bigger than us. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's the way that someone hurt you previously in your life. Maybe it's something that has gone on in you. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe it's a financial mess that the earth is giving way. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're about to lose your apartment. Maybe you, 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 you just can't find your way. Maybe you got a call this week from the doctor with the diagnosis you didn't want to hear. The earth gave way. What the psalmist says is, when that happens, do not worry, because we believe in a God who's bigger than the earth. We believe in a God who's bigger than everything. And just like I told you in the beginning, when we faced odds that were so much bigger than us, we needed a God that was so much bigger than the odds. And so God is there in this moment to to hold on to us, but let me tell you why that's so important. Because when we get into fear, if you remember from our Making It Through the Mess series, our our mental health series, we talked about fear. Fear in you and I causes one of two reactions, right? You've heard this. Fight or flight. Everyone say it. Fight or flight. flight. Well, that was weak. Let's do it one more time. Fight Fight. or flight. flight. That's what you're going to do when you get scared. And so why do you think God wants to be so prescriptive in this to say, We have this God who's a refuge and strength. Do not be afraid. Because when you and I are afraid, we're going to run or we're going to fight. And those two things are the exact things that we do not need to do to survive. Listen, if there's a mudslide coming for you, I don't need you to get brave and plant your feet firmly in the ground and go, okay, I'm going to fight this thing. You're not going to win. The earth is going to hit you and you are going to die. You also don't need to run because you're never going to outrun it. I mean, let's be honest. The quickest person in here might be able to run like 12 miles an hour. Even Usain Bolt's going to get caught by a mudslide. And so what the Bible says is, look, you can't run and you can't fight some of these things because they're bigger, faster, and stronger than you and they will overwhelm you. The only choice that you have is to hang on to me. And when you hang on to me, you don't need to be afraid. 
And so the very next part, the way that we survive and thrive in these moments where the earth gives way is God says, remove fear, because if you have fear, these next two things won't happen, and it's going to get rough. And so what does God say that you and I need to do? The very next thing that you need to do is stay close. Just stay close. Get near God. You know, has anyone ever in here, like, you can hang like this, but have you ever tried to hang something out here? Like, put weights on your arms and hold them out in front of you? I mean, I'm like a buck 85 or buck 90 right now. I can hang like this. But if you ask me to hold 190 pounds like this, my arms are going to fall off. Because the further away you get from what you need to be, the harder it is to hang on. See, some of us in this room, you're supposed to be near God, but you're terrified of God because the enemy's convinced you that the one thing that's meant to save you is the one thing that's meant to kill you. And so you're pushing away, and now it's getting harder to hold on. That's exactly what happens in this passage. Look at what the Bible says, starting in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst, within her, in the center of her, talking about this city and this river. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Look at what happens. It says, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Notice what happens here. The Bible says that there's this river that goes through this place that you and I are supposed to hold on to. Now, in this time, this meant a lot more. I bet you if we were in California, there's a lot of cities that would wish that there was a river running through the midst of the city right now. They're facing the greatest drought of generations right now on the west coast of the United States. What this signified to people was there's life in that city. If there's a river running through the midst of the city, we're okay. Why? Because there's fresh water. And in rivers that flow, there are fish to feed us. And in rivers, there's protection. In rivers, if there's a fire, we can put it out. There's a constant stream of water. In fact, even with the river, the filth can go downstream. The Bible says that God is in the midst of that city and in the midst of the river. Now, I know that that seems to be so important to us, but, but the reality is, is God's saying, stay in the center of the city. Stay as close as possible so that you can survive and so that you can hold on. See, each of these things that we're facing are meant to pull you away. Notice that when your marriage is ending, it's pulling you apart. When you're financially in trouble, it's pulling you away from your household or your abode or, or your things, and maybe your car is going to be pulled away. Maybe you're, you're worried about school, and how much does worry remove you from this world, remove you from your relationships? And so what God says is, look, if you're going to survive, you've got to hold on, but you've got to stay close. You've got to stay close. My son Jude does this all the time. He's three. And so sometimes when we're holding him, he... He wants to be with us, but you know how he tries to get out of our arms when we're having to hold him? He pushes away. He pushes away, and sometimes he almost like goes out of our arms and falls on the ground. For so many of us, we're pushing against God right now in this moment. And I want to encourage you that you must stay close. But there's this interesting passage that comes up here. Because the Bible says in verse 6, 
The nations rage and the kingdoms roar. Notice that there's this extreme energy coming from the nations and all of these enemies coming against the city, screaming at the city, knocking at the door and the gates, uttering, raging, screaming. And notice the Bible says, and God utters his voice. He utters his voice and the Bible says, the earth melts. That is so important for you and I to understand because the reason so many times you and I will push away from God is because the enemy's coming in and we want to run away. We got to get away. And the Bible says, stay in the middle of the city. That's where you're safest. And you're like, I don't know if I get that. Anyone ever been on a merry-go-round when you were a kid? Where's the best place to be on the merry-go-round when someone starts spinning it so fast? In the middle, you can survive. If you're not in the middle and you're the kid that hangs on the edge, they're like hanging on and then their their arms give way and then they're like hanging off the side and they're spinning around and then they get sucked underneath and they die. That's how it happens. And so the worst place to be is on the edge. In fact, when I was in high school, we had a wave runner and I used to take my friends out on it and I'd say, hey, like don't hug me so tight. They'd be like, well, it's fast. I'm like, yeah, just back off. The reason was is because I wanted to throw them off the jet ski. And so if you make them sit towards the back, there's this one thing you can do with a jet ski. You go really fast, and then you let go of the gas. Jet skis can't turn if there's no gas, okay? And so then what happens is you turn it as hard as you can, and then you hit the gas as hard as you can, and the jet ski will spin on top of the water real fast in your flins. Fly off real far. And then when they'd fly off, I'd be like, oh man, are you okay? And they'd be in the water. I'd be like, shark! And they'd be like, ah! And they'd scream. And I'd be like, oh, you should have stayed close. You should have stayed closer to me and you wouldn't have fallen off. Oh man. That's a funny story, but how many of us, that's what's going on? God's getting you through turbulent waters and you're gonna have to take a hard left and the thing's gonna spin. And God says, if you stay close to me, you will not fly off. But so many of us are like, I don't wanna be that close. And then we fly off and then we go, why didn't you save me? And he said, I, I was. I was rescuing you. You pushed away. But this verse here, verse six, I think is such a beautiful verse because I want you to hear what happens here. See, there's a a better translation, I think, here of this passage. It comes from the German everyday language translation. You might not be familiar with that, but it says this. Listen to what it says, verse six. He lets his voice be heard. He lets his voice be heard. Peoples tremble, kingdoms totter, and the whole earth disappears in anguish. How do we relate that to real life? God gets out his dad voice. Anyone ever heard the dad voice? My kids hear it. Some of our our interns get to hear it when they come over our house because there's times where my voice might sound pleasant and then there's times where it goes, hey, cut it out now, stop, sit down, get off the couch, you're gonna die. And you're like, that sounds mean. No, that's love. And here's what happens. When the nations and the enemies are raging at the gates of the city, The Bible says that God goes, lay down, get down. This isn't for you. I will overcome you. You will not touch my sons and daughters. And you and I sit in the middle of the city and go, oh man, it's bad to be them. (laughs) Oh God, let's go. And God, the Bible says his voice 
thunders. And when God thunders, the earth quakes and nations crumble. It describes it here as this idea of the earth melting. And so listen, you don't even need to speak up when you're in trouble. You just hold tight right in the center and close your eyes and believe that God is holding you up and he's sustaining you. And when you feel the need to push away because it's getting too scary, that's the moment you gotta dig in even harder. That's the moment you've gotta really choose. Like this is where I'm staying. Not because it's natural for me, but because God has told me to stay close. And what you'll hear is the voice of God go against your enemy and begin to rebuke him and begin to dissuade him and begin to overcome him. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we know that at the very last battle, the battle called Armageddon, there's not a sword or arrow that needs to be raised for God speaks and the nations are slaughtered. Some of us so highly doubt the word of God and the voice of God but have you not noticed that it's the voice of God and the word of God that has the most power? Anyone remember a guy named Lazarus? When he was dead in a grave for three days? Did Jesus run in and do CPR? Jesus didn't, oh gosh, guys, you should have called me sooner. Let's get him up. Jesus didn't rub his hands together, Mr. Miyagi style, and heal him. He doesn't get a defibrillator and get adrenaline. Jesus says, Wake up, come out of the grave. That same voice that can bring life can kill your enemy. And you and I need to just stay close. But finally, this psalm begins to end with this idea here, verse eight. Look at what the psalmist says when he talks about the fact that God's voice melts the earth. He says this, come behold the works of the Lord. Come behold, he says, everybody, anyone ever have somebody do something so great in your life? You, hey, hey. Come check this out. Look at what my dad just did. This is what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, hey, everybody, come here. You need to see what God just did. Behold at what he just did. I've been sitting in the city, and my enemies were surrounding me, and God spoke, and look what happened. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolation he has brought on the earth. Listen to verse 9. He makes Wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And look at what God says. This is a verse you may be familiar with. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What happens here, what God is saying to you and I, is we not only need to to hold on, We need to stay close, but we need to stay still. See, that fear is going to cause you to fight or flight. It's going to stop you from being close, and it's going to make you move. And maybe what God is saying to you right now is, let me fight the battle for you. This is an enemy you will not win against. This is an enemy that will overcome you if you do it in your own strength. And so I am here. I'm on demand. And I will protect you and I will give you the strength to move forward and I will speak and your enemy will be crushed. So what does he say? Be still. Just slow down. 
That word still there means stop fighting, stop moving, desist, just be still, just stay right here. And I don't know where you are in your life, but maybe right now you're clinging on to God and God is speaking to your enemy, but he's whispering to you, just stay still. Don't move. It's going to be okay. Just stay still. Hold on a little bit longer, my child. I am with you. Just don't move. In fact, a few weeks ago, we were on vacation, and Jude is, you know, he's fun and exciting and likes to laugh and do all, he's a, he's a real joke, like he jokes a lot. He jokes Amen all the time. Amen comes to our house, and everyone's like, well, who's that? And he goes, you're a boy, girl, girl, and he gets to Amen, he goes, you a girl. And then Amen laughs, and he goes, no, no, you a girl. Uh, and then even yesterday, Roman was here, we were working um, on all of these different uh, projects, and Kelsey took Jude outside to water the plants, and Roman walked by, and Kelsey like hid the hose, and Jude goes, what? What happened? She, Kelsey goes, well, the plants are thirsty. That's why we're watering them. And Jude goes, Roman looks thirsty because <laughs> he wanted Kelsey to spray Roman. Okay? That Jude, that's Jude. He's mischievous, but it's innocent. So the other day, we were um, not at Disney Springs. We were somewhere kind of like that, like Ford's Garage, if you know the area. And we took some pictures, and Jude was running, you know, in, in the sidewalk and things like that. And he got ahead of us. And so we were like, okay. And then we said, hey, stop there and be still. Because we knew that just maybe like another 30 feet away was the road. So we said, stop. Well, Jude pushed away from us. He did not sit still. He did not hold tight. He did not get close. And he began to run towards the road. So I yell, dad voice, stop, like loud, people behind me, Ooh, they got scared, I didn't care about them, I cared about him, and I was going to scream, and I was going to yell, and I was going to protect as much as I could, but the problem was, I, we weren't close enough to stop him, we weren't, and then all of a sudden, my yell provoked someone else across the street, and he ran and met Jude just before he went into the road, See, sometimes the yell of God will not just kill the enemy, it will awaken the Christians who will come to your aid because you and I are meant to fight the battle. And you know what the crazy thing is? The Bible says that I am the good shepherd talking about Jesus. I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. How many of you know when God's calling? You say, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like. It sounds a lot like this book. And so what happens in this moment is God says, stay still, stop fighting. And he says this, just admit that I'm God. And some of us in this room just need to finally admit that he's God. Like he is the Lord, he is sovereign and he's able and he's protecting you. And some of you need to stop pushing away and go, I get it, you're God. You don't, I don't need to impress you. I don't need to do anything else because everything that was coming against us, God disarms. Notice what the Bible says. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear and he sets the shields on fire. What he says is be still, stay still. I'm gonna go take care of the enemy. Not only will I leave desolation for them, I will disarm them. 
And so there will be nothing left to fear other than a cry and a yell. But how many of us know that sometimes the bark is worse than the bite? See, you and I have to realize this. Satan has been disarmed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that every arrow meant of accusation towards the Christian has been taken away. And so all he has left is bark. All he has left is a word. And God says, stay close, be near, and hold on. And he can remind you right in that moment, I've got you. I am taking the enemy to task. Do not worry. Do not fear. Do not be afraid in this moment. I've got you. That loud voice, it's not true. That screaming is not going to come get you. That worst future that you're imagining isn't coming for you. I've got you. See, the enemy doesn't necessarily use spears and swords and arrows and shields against us but he certainly uses sin or our past or our future. How many of you are so scared of your future? Our enemies, our addictions. How about this, our anxieties? What the Bible says is every one of those has been crushed by the voice of God and he doesn't even have to shout. He only has to utter. He only has to whisper and your enemies are crushed in this moment. I was thinking about this, and how, how, do I, how do I begin to give an illustration for how this all works? We've picked up fishing a lot lately. Uh, in fact, uh, Kelsey and I were fishing the other day with the kids, and there was this fish. It was a little trout, like this big, and we don't want it to get hurt. But if we, have you noticed that when you bring a fish out of the water, they squirm and they flap and they, they go everywhere, and you're just trying to get the hook out of their mouth? Right? You're, just, you're just trying to get the hook out of their mouth to help them to get them back in. Because let me just tell you, when a fish comes out of water, it feels a lot like the earth giving way. And so what the fish does is it freaks out in fear and begins to squirm and begins to shake. And it begins to flap on the board of the deck of the boat and it gets hurt worse. And I literally said to this fish, Kelsey was there, I said, if you just stop this, be over a lot sooner. If you just stop, this would be over a lot sooner. And then I grabbed the fish, his whole body, so he couldn't squirm anymore. And I drew him close, and I took the hook out of his mouth. And then I put him back, and the earth was no longer giving way for him. You and I are the fish. Just stop moving. You're just making this worse and worse. You're making this in this moment that you and I don't understand. And here's how I know that God wants to talk to us. The psalm ends with this verse. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now that for some of us is like, yeah, that's a, I hear that all the time. What does that even mean? The story of Jacob is one of great uh, disappointment. Jacob lies to Abraham or to his father to get the blessing. He, he all of the time is conniving and twisting and doing all of these things in his life to get his way. Jacob is the ultimate mess up. He messes up constantly. In fact, the Bible doesn't have a lot of great things to say about Jacob. Not that he's a terrible person, but he really relates to you and I. Because how many of us can really relate with Moses? We go, you know what? He and I are similar. 
We're both freeing a nation of people. How many of us get really identify with Abraham? We identify like, oh, I'm going to be the father of many nations. I, I am the beginning of God's promise to the world. But you know that a promise was given to Jacob as well. So here's finally where God means this. Because sometimes you and I feel like we're not special enough to have God's attention towards us. We're just not, I'm not Moses, I'm not Abraham, I'm not Isaac, I'm not Jacob. Well, that's exactly why I believe God put that in there. That there was someone who was so unspecial in that moment that God chose to say, you don't have to be someone special for me to protect because everyone is special in my sight. And so you may feel like you're in this moment that you just don't know what to do. I'm gonna end with this story and then we're gonna praise. A few years ago, uh, we took the kids to Orlando and I don't know if you've been to this place, but has everyone seen that museum that's upside down in Orlando, the building's upside down? It's called Wonder Works, I think. And we, you know, we were bored, so what were we gonna do? So we were like, let's take the kids to Wonder Works. And right when you get into Wonder Works, there's this actually really kind of intimidating place. Right when you walk in, there's this, this uh, grate and this sidewalk that you are to walk through. But what they do is they have a room that spins around the grate. And the room's all dark, and they have black lights in there, and the floors light up. But what happens is, is when you walk on a standstill grate, but the entire room is spinning around you, you feel like the earth is giving way. You feel like, I, I can't, in fact, you like walk out, and you're kind of like this. See, that moment, that, that room's a lot bigger than you are. It actually has a lot more power over you than you think. And so that's how you walk into the museum. Like, it's like, you got to get through this. And my kids, if you don't know, like, they don't like to walk into situations that make them uncomfortable. And so I, being dad, walked over the thing, you know, because I had to just, in my mind, decide the floor's not moving. The walls are. I just got to move. And so I just walked across. But then I said, come on, girls, you just need to walk across. And Piper said, I can't do this on my own. I, Dad, I can't. The floor's moving. So I said, oh, you know, I do the dad thing. Where I'm like, just be brave, right? So I just walk back, and I'm like, here, come with me. And Piper grabbed onto my leg, and she held really tight. And I held onto her little, like, basically head at that point, but I just grabbed her. And she was scared to walk out, but I said, we got to get through this to get to where we need to be. And so I walked her. Though the earth gave way, I walked her across. And we got to the other side. And then I had to go back for Tatum. And then I had to go back for Kelsey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kelsey didn't make it across. <laughs> you and That's exactly who you and I need to be. We're walking into a room where it feels like the earth is giving way, the floor is falling out. And God is coming back to you right now. And he's saying, just grab on. It's gonna be okay. I'm gonna get you through this. You just hold on tight. You stay close and don't try to run. Be still and I'll get you through this. And that's exactly who you and I need to be. See, they knew exactly who they needed to hold on to to get through it. 
you and I need to be that same person. We need to know exactly who we need to hold on to to get through it. And the psalm starts with, our God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present in our time of trouble. He's on demand. And so I don't know where you find yourself right now in your life, but maybe God's telling you to just hold on. Keep going and he'll get you through this. Don't stop. Our God is that good. Notice this has nothing to do with how great you are. It has everything to do with how great God is. 